I wanted to start off this episode by reading two comments that I received from the February survey. Rex says, the content is what makes your podcast great. I don't mind lower quality audio, the stove crackling in the background, or poor phone connections. The stories and lessons learned are the important things. Your interview style seems to work well for getting folks to dig deep into what happened and what we can all learn. Looking forward to all the future episodes. Rex. This comment is from Connie. Connie says, I love the format, I love the concept, and I love the episode where you shared your experiences. Your honesty says everything I need to know about your integrity. You are keeping countless people safe, helping people avoid, be aware of dangerous situations, as well as humanizing the fact we all make mistakes and have taken chances maybe we shouldn't have. Thank you so much, Connie and Rex, for leaving me some awesome feedback and for tuning into the show. I invite you to please check out my brand new website, thesharpendpodcast.com that I launched on January 1st. I also have a Patreon account now. So if this podcast has brought value to your life, please consider supporting the Sharp End Podcast on the Patreon platform. There are various sponsor levels that you can choose from. Integrating some feedback from the February survey, there is now a $1 level on Patreon called the Steven level. Thanks Steven for that feedback. Head on over to patreon.com slash the sharp end podcast to sign up. It's totally fine if you don't want to become a Patreon. You can also support the show by buying a t-shirt or a tote bag. These are great to strike up a conversation at the crag, the gym, the beach, or outer space. And finally, word of mouth is the all-time way. Tell a friend, or better yet, turn the podcast on when you're on a road trip with your climbing friends. I'm currently living out of a hotel, and so I do apologize for any background noise like the highway noise and the barking dog in the hotel room next to me. Anyway, I have had many guests tell me that better communication could have helped prevent their accidents, so I was super stoked when Rocky Talkie reached out to support the show and you guys. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by a small team of climbers from Denver. Me and my ski partner recently spent three days ski mountaineering up here in Alaska in single-digit temps, and by the end of the trip, my battery was only down to 71%. These radios are lightweight, waterproof, durable, and the most cost-efficient radios on the market. If you need a radio for your backcountry use or the radio that you have isn't really working for you anymore, check these out. Rocky Talkies wants to hook you up with a 10% discount to keep you safe in the backcountry. Make sure to use sharpen code at rockytalkie.com to get 10% off your radios and to support this podcast. This show is not only supported by Rocky Talkies, but we are also supported by the American Alpine Club and Desert Mountain Medicine. I talk a lot about accidents on this show, but what about near misses? Today, I talk with two well-known professionals in the outdoor industry about institutional near misses. And I hope you enjoy the show. This is a really fun episode because this episode isn't just uh, with one person. I have two folks on the line today. I've got Steve Smith and I have Joel Reed, and I'll let them introduce themselves here in just a moment. But I do want to just mention to you all that this sharpened episode is going to be focusing on organizational learning, uh, not just individual team learning. So that's kind of a treat for you all to look forward to. Um, So with that said, why don't you go and introduce yourself, Steve? Hello, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. And uh, I'm Steve Smith with Experiential Consulting. Uh, We run a 
risk management consulting company here in Seattle, Washington, that exclusively works with the outdoor industry and experiential education programs, uh, conservation cores, wilderness therapy programs, stuff like that. And we're going to share some of the learning from those organizations uh, with you all here tonight. Great. And Joel? Hi, Ashley. Thank you for having me. So my name is Joel Reed. I'm the Washington Program Director for the Northwest Outward Bound School. So I oversee all of our wilderness programming in Washington State based out of the small town of Mazama in north central Washington. Oh, very cool. And you both know that I worked for the Outward Bound School for nine years and just love it dearly. Um, so what are we going to be talking about this evening? What we're going to be talking about here tonight is not so much, you know, the big scary incidents or the the big critical, the helicopter evacuations or, you know, the, the epic stories. We're going to be talking about something that is subtle, but I would say equally important, which are near misses. And I think before I even talk about those, uh, I want to clearly define what a near miss is because it's a term that I see really often misused. So, you know, an accident or an incident is when someone is injured or hurt or equipment is damaged or a vehicle wreck, something like that. That's, that's what is clearly an incident because some kind of damage took place. A near miss is something that would have been an incident if there was a slight difference in timing or location. So some people might call a near miss a close call. Uh, I'd like to use the word I like to use the term near miss personally, um, but two two points there. Um, one is I, I see the term misused a lot. Um, for example, I'll, I'll read a, an online story about someone who, you know, fell into a crevasse, broke their leg, was rescued by a helicopter, but they say I was fortunate to survive this near miss. And that was not a near miss. You know, that no. was clearly right. That was clearly an incident. Uh, so I just want to really make a distinction that a near miss is something that could have been bad, but, uh, wasn't. And the second key thing I'll point out is that e even if something is a physical near miss, it can still be an emotional hit and there can still be, uh, trauma, emotional trauma from the, the, um, the impact of what could have happened to folks. So, you know, I don't want to downplay the emotional side of a near miss, but I do want to just distinguish between a near miss and an incident. So that's the, that's the first key thing um, that I want to talk about. The second big piece I want to kind of lead with here is explaining what, why are we, why are we talking about near misses on the sharp end tonight? You know, why, why do they really matter? And looking at them, not just as a, um, you know, personal outdoor adventurer, but looking at it through the lens of an organization it, near misses are cheap lessons that can be harvested uh, for valuable information. There are opportunities that we have to learn something or make some kind of adjustments for the future. I, I, I really like that uh, metaphor of, you know, they're, they're cheap lessons. They are lottery tickets that we've already bought and we may as well cash them mm -hmm. in, right? Um, <laughs> There, it doesn't mean that there's, you know, someone's in trouble. It doesn't mean that we have to go to the hospital. There's probably no lawsuits with a near miss. All it is, is an opportunity for us to 
learn something that we might otherwise fly under the radar screen. And that's a really big problem because near misses are, uh, the, the, the research shows that near misses are actually quite plentiful, but very underreported in organizations. So that creates a big blind spot for people and uh, for the organization itself. If you are having one after another, after another, after another, you know, rockfall near miss at a top rope climbing area or a series of close calls with trailer number six, <laughs> it might be time to do something about trailer number six, you know, before that becomes a, a critical issue for someone. Um, why are they so underreported, you might ask? Well, there's some really common human factors that go into um, folks generally wanting to gloss right over near misses, not spend a lot of time on them. One could be that there's a voluminous paperwork you know, barrier between um, how the organization has set up their incident reporting or near miss reporting structure and um, you know, all the steps you have to go through just to simply report a near miss, that can create a barrier for people. Another one just is simply fear, fear of being blamed or shamed or looking bad. Fired. Fired. Yep. Looking bad at your job, not being promoted um, or just sort of, um, you know, shamed by your peers uh, that might talk behind your back about something that, you know, they, they caught wind of. So, you know, that kind of organizational culture can really suppress um, people's natural um, desire to want to talk about something that didn't happen. You know, a near miss is, it didn't happen, right? So there's war. Why are we talking about this? So I, I do think that those things are, um, are challenges. And, you know, uh, there are, it is easy to, for me to talk about this stuff, but it's very hard to enact it in real life. It's very hard for an organization to really have the um, the policies and the training and the culture to do this stuff well. And in my work, I, I actually work with outdoor and experiential programs all around the country. And one of the programs that I've seen that does the very best job of this with near misreporting with their policies and their culture and their training and their leadership is the Northwest Outward Bound School. So this might be a great time to turn it over to my colleague, Joel, and hear a little bit more from him. Thanks, Steve. Uh, that's a great introduction to near misses. And uh, I'd like to talk yeah, a little bit about what near misses look like in the program I work with at Northwest Outward Bound School. And I thought I'd start that out with some personal examples that I've had of near misses. And uh, the first, I've got a few examples here. The first one will be when I was an instructor. So I started working for the school as an instructor. And uh, and then I have another one where uh, I was an administrator. So uh, I think it was my first course in Washington as an Outward Bound instructor. It was a 22-day sea kayaking and mountaineering expedition. And we were on the sea kayaking part in the San Juan Islands. And uh, this was an interesting course because as we were preparing for it, we noticed in the student paperwork that at least half of the people in the group had some kind of significant peanut allergy. And uh, included in that was my co-instructor. And uh, because of that, uh, 
uh, as we were packing for the food, I just let him pack all the snacks, uh, or I think he requested it because he wanted to make sure that we didn't bring any snacks that had peanuts in them. And uh, it sounded great to me. Uh, I figured that he'd be able to um, quickly identify those foods. And so anyway, we're, we're out there on our kayaking trip and we stopped at a beach. And I remember we were standing on this beach, just chatting and, uh, eating some kind of snack mix. I don't remember exactly what it was. And I was standing next to this girl. She was one of the ones who had a history of a a pretty severe peanut allergy. And she had some food in her hand and she was just slowly snacking and all of a sudden she stops and her face goes pale and she turns to me and she says i just ate a peanut oh no and <laughs> so this is like my you know my one of my first courses and i was like oh no this person's gonna have an anaphylactic reaction here on this beach so i uh quickly but calmly <laughs> uh go over to my kayak and i grab my my first aid kit that has my benadryl and my epinephrine auto injector and i come back to her and i start asking her a lot of questions and <clears throat> she was really scared uh she felt really nauseous but other than that she was okay uh we monitored her for really the rest of the day and into the night and she was fine nothing more serious came of that and that was that's one of the first near misses that i can remember experiencing with the school as an instructor where there was potential for something really serious to happen, but it didn't. And we could analyze all day of why that didn't happen, but uh, really I'd say that we got lucky uh, that time. And I, uh, I was well prepared to deal with that sort of incident. I had medical training. We had um, policies and procedures that would help back me up and um, inform our care for this person. And we had, <clears throat> uh, the right medical equipment to deal with that, uh, sort of accident that could happen. Uh, but, uh, one thing that we did, one of the big learnings from that and things that, so this was what, 13 years ago, uh, some of the things that have changed and improved since then is we've, uh, significantly improved the way that we uh, shop for the foods that we take on these trips, how we label them in our food packing room, how we uh, utilize our uh, food packing um, program on our computer to uh, tell us what to pack and we can input uh, how many people we have with certain types of allergies. We've also made improvements in Uh, how we screen our students ahead of course and how we uh, try to find out what sort of allergies or food intolerances they may have another uh maybe one of my my favorite maybe favorite's not the right word but uh another near miss (laughs) uh, early on in my my outward bound career i think this is maybe the next year uh we were on a a 14 day or 15 day mountaineering course in the sawtooth wilderness of the north cascades and this was in a part of the course maybe a little bit past the halfway point where uh, typically on an outward bound course after the first handful of days of training students all the different skills that they need for surviving in uh, the environment they're in the instructors will start to step back more 
and more and more and let the students start to take over for themselves and become more autonomous. So we were at that point where we were we were still pretty close to the group, but we were letting them do some more of the, the route finding and uh, some of the decision making for the day. And my co-instructor and I, we got a little, just a little bit ahead of the group and we were sitting up on, on top of this ridge uh, of this route that we call the, the Marmot Traverse. And we were watching our students uh, come out across the slope and then they uh, turned to come up towards the ridge to meet us. And it was kind of a steep, rocky slope. And I just remember looking at the, the slope that they were about to come up and having this thought that something just wasn't right. Or premonition. Yeah. And I, <laughs> it was, I wasn't sure how to articulate it, but I remember thinking if I was leading that group, if I was at the front of that group, I would not be taking them on the route that they're on. And I turned to look at my co-instructor, the lead instructor that I was working with, because I was the assistant, uh, just to see if there was any reaction there or if he's, if there, I, I could see anything in his face. And uh, I was uh, thinking about saying something. And then I hear one of the students scream. And I look down and I see that the person who was at the lead uh, directly uphill from the rest of the group had... Uh, pulled loose a boulder about the size of a microwave that was tumbling down this steep slope. And the next student in line dove out of the way and uh, just missed being hit with this microwave-sized rock. Oh, wow. And Mm -hmm. uh, physically, everybody was fine. Maybe there were a couple scratches, but everybody was just fine physically. Uh, so it was definitely a significant near miss in that the consequences could have been catastrophic. Now, I do want to, you know, I'm, I'm differentiating the, the physical uh, part of it there because it was also an emotional hit. Steve mentioned those earlier, where uh, the student that had to dive out of the way from the bold, out of the uh, way from the falling boulder. Uh, it was a pretty significant emotional event for him. And uh, he had a really difficult time for the rest of the day. And that sort of carried into other days of the course where he was um, a little bit anxious and just didn't feel comfortable uh, in a lot of the yeah, terrain. Yeah, he didn't feel that we safe in. at that point. Yeah, yeah he did mm-hmm. not feel safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yeah, I just want to differentiate the difference there between that physical near miss and the emotional hit that we had. And that brought up a lot of great learnings around uh, how we position ourselves as instructors, uh, how we make plans for the management of different uh, terrain that we travel on and how we manage the students through that terrain. And then another big one is um, it really forced us to look more at co-instructor dynamics and uh, how to encourage communication so that somebody who is a, is a brand new instructor feels comfortable bringing uh, some kind of issue up to uh, their lead instructor, uh, which was, I think, part of the case with this one. Right. You're, you're saying maybe you didn't quite feel comfortable to say something to the lead in that moment. I mean, yeah, you looked I, at him like you were going to. and I then- hesitated. You hesitated. I hesitated because I looked at him and I thought, okay, well, he doesn't, it doesn't look like he sees a problem. So maybe it's okay. 
and not to, it's nothing against my, my co-instructor. Uh, you know, one reason why we have two instructors on a course is because you, you know, one set of eyes isn't going to see everything. It never does with 12 students. <laughs> yes. Uh, I have one more that I'd, I'd really like to share. Uh, and so this one is much more recent. This one was, uh, the summer of 2019. And this was while I was the program director and in this position, as much as possible, I try to get out into the field to, to visit, uh, courses to help them out. Uh, and on this case, I, I went out for just a single night, uh, and, uh, I was going to help uh, this course. It was a 22-day mountaineering course, and I wanted to give them some assistance on a technical uh, climb they were doing, a multi-pitch climb. And this is up near the popular Washington Pass climbing area uh, up in north-central Washington. And uh, what we did was I went and spent the night with the group, and then I got up really early the next day with one of the instructors, and the two of us went to go set up this climb while the third instructor uh, stayed in camp. We uh, set up the ropes. We talked about the how to manage the students on this climb. It was the other instructor's first time managing this route, and I had done it probably dozens of times in my career as an instructor. And then Wait, we were so coming. So the other instructor that you were setting the climb up with, it was that that instructor's first time, or or the one that was back at camp. You know, I guess neither of them had done that route before. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so that was one reason why I was there is because uh, anytime we're doing a technical route like that, we have to have somebody who's done the route before. Right. Okay. So we were coming down off the route and rappelling off a ledge, uh, probably about a. 80 foot rappel or so down to a small pass. And I went first, I set up my rappel. We were chatting about different strategies for, for bringing the group through this section. And, uh, I lean back off the rappel, get down about five feet and something just feels wrong. And I look down at my, my rappel setup and I quickly see my error. And I realized that I incorrectly set up my backup for my rappel. So my, my rappel device was set up correctly. That was all fine. But the backup that was there in case something happens, like somehow I uh, accidentally let go of the rope, I get hit in the head on the way down and I let go. Get stung by uh, a bee. Yeah, anything that could happen. Uh, that backup was set up in a way so that it would have failed if it was needed. Describe it how it would have failed. So... Uh, Normally, I would extend my rappel with a, a sling so that it, it keeps it away from my body. And then I'll have a, a friction hitch that goes around the brake strand and clip that into my harness. But the only way that's going to work is if the fr friction hitch can tighten around the rope before that friction hitch hits the belay device. If it comes into contact with the belay device, then the friction hitch won't be allowed to tighten down on the rope and stop uh, stop it or break the rope. Uh, sorry, break the fall, not the rope. So I, what I did was I did not extend my rappel so that my friction hitch would have been right up against my rappel device. Oh, I see what you mean. I don't know how many years I've been rappelling with my rappel set up the exact same way. I don't know why this time it was different. 
have lots of different ideas about that, but really that's not uh, exactly the point. So uh, I was fine. I, I realized my error and I was extra attentive on the rest of my rappel down. I didn't feel like I was in a good spot to correct it where I was. I thought that I would potentially just get myself into more trouble by trying to climb back up. So I rappelled to the bottom. I was fine. Uh, there was no problem, but I definitely would call it a near miss. And I, I talked about it. I brought it up with the instructor that I was working with because she saw it too. And, and then I decided that I was going to report it and also um, bring it up with the rest of the, the staff that I work with uh, back in the office. And uh, I, I recognized that it was a really unique opportunity for me. So one way that I think that we can encourage others to share near misses they have is if we role model that ourselves, especially in mm. a in a position that I have with the school as program director. Uh, if I can't share the near misses that I have, then how can I expect the staff that I work with to do the same? And believe me, I, I was embarrassed by the situation and I wasn't excited to share that because... I consider myself somebody who is competent at basic climbing skills like rappelling, but uh, I make mistakes and it happens. Yes, yes, that's exactly why you should share it because people don't expect to, that 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 you would make a mistake because Joel doesn't make mistakes. He's he's an expert. He's a professional. He's he's the director. You know, so that's the exact reason why you. you it's it's so important for people like you to to share. Definitely. Or they think that uh, it's happened because I just spend too much time in the office and don't go climbing as much anymore. <laughs> well, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if, I, if I'm ready to admit that one yet. You know, one thing that we look at when we're trying to uh, assess a near miss is what were the potential consequences? Uh, sometimes the potential consequences are, uh, and they're, I'd say they're all serious, but sometimes it may be uh, if it would have gone wrong, somebody would have broken their leg. Uh, or if it would have gone wrong, we would have had a fatality. So that's a, it's a really big piece that we're assessing. And the learnings might be the exact same from both of those uh, types of near misses with those different consequences. But it is good to think about what could have happened. Yeah. Even if, even if, uh, you know, if everything went right to still come home and debrief what went right, why were things successful? So Steve, can you share, um, what you think programs should do to improve their approach with reporting and learning from your missus? Well, the best thing they can do is listen to this podcast and hire people like Joel Reed. Those would be my first two steps. Uh, in terms of organizational strategy, I think you might have noticed at the outset of this episode, I took a few minutes to carefully define what a near miss is and what it isn't. And I think that's actually exactly what you need to do as an organization um, to make it clear to people the difference between you know, an incident that you report, a near miss that you report and learn from, and what's just normal? What's just business as usual? I don't. I hesitate to say not reportable, but just something that's so commonplace that it's it's considered just part of the job. So I'll, I'll give a give an analogy here uh, in a climbing situation. So let's imagine a student is climbing on top rope and they're being belayed, and at the very top of the route, 
you know, they make a dynamic effort to make a move and they, they slip and they fall off and their belayer gives them a nice catch. That, that is not a near miss, right? That's just climbing and the systems are working as intended. That's, there's nothing unusual about that. That's, that's, that's the activity itself. So we would consider that just normal. But what if in that same moment, as the belayer catches the climber, one of the pieces in the climbing anchor pops out and is dangling there and the anchor holds because it's a nice institutional anchor with multiple pieces in it. But there's a anchor, there's a there's an anchor failure that has occurred or a piece of the anchor that has failed. To me, that is not something that we should just skip by, not pay attention to, gloss over. That's a reportable near miss where we need to learn something uh, from that. And especially if there's a trend of those kind of things happening, you know, that's another great indicator that these near misses have some voltage that we should be paying attention to. Uh, finally, let's imagine uh, rockfall or something happens in that climbing situation where someone is actually injured. Clearly, that's an incident that needs to be reported and, and learned from. So I will also make a nuanced observation that what might be considered normal for, for one program or one activity or one organization might not be normal at all for, for another one. And this is where the concept of organizational risk tolerance and the nature, the inherent risk in the activities themselves, you're just going to have more um, opportunities to be in a hazardous environment on a glacier climbing through seracs than you are perhaps walking through a level forest. So, you know, again, defining what a, what a reportable near miss is and really having your staff clear about that, I think is a really important first step. Uh, the next thing is something that Joel kind of referenced and, and role modeled really well, which is um, agreeing on what happens when a near miss is reported and showing people that it's going to be a safe place to learn. We're going to positively reinforce, we're going to role model and positively reinforce when someone does submit a near miss report. We're going to show them that they're taking the time to fill out that, in that near miss report is creating meaningful learning and possibly change at the organization. Maybe there's a new policy, maybe there's new training, maybe there's some new equipment that we're going to buy as a result of the, this, this trend of near misses that, that we've seen. And, um, you know, I think that's the opposite of an organization that lets the near misses just go into this black hole. People are worried. I sent in this near miss report. I have no idea what became of it or if anyone ever even read it. Am I in trouble now? You know, are people talking about me behind my back? That kind of environment is is the opposite of what uh, is going to enact meaningful growth and change from near miss reporting. So I guess a real key is taking the near misses and looking forward into the future and asking what's going to keep this from happening again, as opposed to saying, whose fault is this? Who can I blame? Who's in trouble? Who, you know, that sort of looking backwards and blaming. We want to look forward and 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 learn and prevent. So I'll just tell one brief story um, following this formula with, you know, defining and positively reinforcing and creating a safe place and showing people the benefits of their near miss reporting and all that following that formula. Uh, I was the safety director at a nationwide nonprofit organization for five years. 
And when I started work, uh, there there was an incident reporting system, but I noticed that there was a relatively low number of near-miss reports. And I was curious about why that might be and, and, and all of that. So we dug into it a little bit. That first year that I worked there, um, the annual report came out and there were 16 near misses that had been reported that year in, in the 50 states where the organization operated. Uh, I worked there for five years. I went through these steps. I really had a focused yeah, campaign basically around near miss reporting and really trying to make that a, a point of emphasis. And my last year that I was there, uh, we had gone from 16 to 163 near miss reports. And you might say, what did Steve do wrong? You know, <laughs> what, what, what was what was going wrong at that organization where suddenly they were having all these near misses that were happening? And of course, the reality is that they were always happening and they were they just weren't being reported. And so what that 160 near misses represented was 160 possible chances to recognize trends, to learn something, to fix something that might not be working, to improve the workplace conditions that were making those near misses possible or more likely to happen. So I'm super proud of that simple story. And I hope that's inspiring for um, people who are running outdoor programs that it's, 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 it's definitely time and effort. It definitely requires maintenance um, it is some work to start to enact that culture of near-miss reporting and learning, but it's so possible to do it. And, um, you know, the, the the barriers that people feel around um, talking about, you know, critical injuries or those kind of things and, and the fear, you know, of, of getting fired or, or being legally liable and all that. You know, guess what? We don't really, there are no lawsuits for near misses. There are no injuries. You know, there's no one's going to necessarily be in trouble. And it, it, hopefully we can just create a workplace environment where um, we can see those near misses as um, cheap lessons or, you know, as I said earlier, lottery tickets that we've already paid for. Let's just cash them in and see what we can learn from those and um, hopefully make a, a, you know, better and safer workplace uh, for ourselves as a result of that. So I love that. <laughs> Thanks. Joel, Joel, what are some things that, uh, you do at, at your hourbound school, um, as a director to sort of promote that culture of, of learning and cashing in those lottery tickets? You know, one thing, uh, when I think about, uh, the, the culture that we have here at the Northwest Outbound School, uh, it's, you know, it's not something that was created overnight. This is a culture that has been developing for many, many years. When I started in 2008, this culture was uh, was already very strong, and uh, so I'm I'm learning from. I've learned from and um, repeating many of the things that I've seen over the years that um, I've worked there. But uh, one thing we do is we we just normalize the talking about and sharing of uh, these near misses. And uh, like I said, I think one of the most important pieces is for managers to role model. And uh, I have the, uh, or I've had the opportunity to work as an outward bound instructor for many years and have many personal uh, outdoor adventures and uh, other professional experience uh, that I have a, uh, this, uh, wealth of, uh, near misses in my career that I can draw from to, 
share, uh, whether it's at a staff training or um, at a safety briefing prior to a course or a debrief. Uh, I try to bring these up as much as I can uh, to because everybody makes mistakes and we're all human. And every one of us who adventures in the outdoors or who leads others in the outdoors, we make we definitely make mistakes. Uh, so, yeah, role modeling is probably one of the most important things. And then just make space for it. So one thing that we do at our Outward Bound facility, our base camp, is every workday we have a morning meeting. So everybody who's working that day will, will start the day with a, a big group meeting where we talk about anything from uh, news that's important news that's going on, things that are happening with our school, workday announcements and near misses and that's a time for people to share near misses from uh work while they're on course maybe it was while they were driving one of the vehicles uh, or maybe it's a near miss from a personal adventure that they had uh on their day off and it gets people in the habit of talking about it we also have course debriefs where we all gather at the end of the course to talk about all different types of learnings from uh, we should have packed more pasta to, hey, we really need to uh, look at uh, the uh, weird lighting, uh, the wiring on the trailer because the lights, the brake lights keep uh, not working when we need them to work. So... Uh, there's a lot of different small ways that we can try and hit these near misses and or bring these near misses out uh, from our staff. Like I said, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has a collection of near misses. So when a staff person comes to me and they share their near miss that they had on course, uh, there's no, like Steve said, you, you can't look at it like blame and punishment. Uh, when somebody shares those, that's, that tells me like this is somebody that we want to keep around. This is somebody who is open about sharing their mistakes and they they want to learn from them and uh, not make those mis- same mistakes in the future. And uh, so we, we really try to foster that culture in the staff that we have here. I think that's a really good point. And I also just want to note that when somebody comes to tell you, Joel, hey, I made this mistake, how do you as a director or as a person receiving this information, how do you posture? What does your facial expression look like? What is your what is your first reaction, verbal or nonverbal? I mean, how is this person being received? And that can really uh, create or set the tone and create the culture of how people will approach you in the future. So it sounds like you know, people are willing and open and excited to come to you and say, Hey, Hey, Joel, I learned this thing or this happened to me. And, but, but I personally had some experiences where I haven't felt that safe to go to this person to divulge some vulnerable or embarrassing information. Well, that's that's unfortunate, you know? Well, certainly the goal is to have everybody feel comfortable to share that. Now, uh, I don't think I can say that uh, every single staff person at our school feels completely comfortable coming forward to their program director to share their near misses, or maybe some of their near misses. Uh, I'd say that it's my goal to get us to that point. I don't know that you ever completely get to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that uh, it's, yes, like you said, part of it is in your... Uh, your body posture, your the way that you're 
you're receiving that information and your first reactions are are really important. Uh, but it's also that deeper culture that builds up to that point. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the, the questions that uh, can be really helpful to ask somebody in that situation is, you know, what did you learn from that experience? And exactly, what, you know, what, you know, what could have set you up better going into that experience? Did you, you know, it was there, um, maybe there's something missing in their training. Maybe it's something missing in the structure of, of the course. I, uh, rarely are, if we were to look at actual accidents and incidents, well, and even near misses, rarely it's just one person that made some error that led to it. Typically, if you were to really dig into it, you'll see that it goes further back and further back and further back. And I have to think about what's my role in this person's near miss, because there's probably something that I could be changing that influences uh, this situation on uh, this person's course. I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a second, because, you know, I think it's actually this whole show. We've been really obviously emphasizing the, the, the importance and the opportunity of near miss reporting and all the good things that can come from it. And I would, I want to say 90% of me really is on board with, with all that, but I want to add a caveat and this is me, um, kind of putting on my, I'm not an attorney, (laughs) but I know lots of them and I, I collaborate with lots of them in this risk management work. And if I could put on the attorney hat for a moment, uh, what they would remind us is that it is very important that you not just collect and pump up your volume of near miss reports, but you have an obligation. This is common sense. You have an obligation to do something with those near miss reports. It is not enough just to pat yourself on the back and say, look at all these near miss reports rolling in. We're learning, we're growing, we're getting better. Hooray. We have a culture of uh, learning and openness you also have a responsibility to understand what's causing those near misses and to uh, to address and document how you are addressing those issues. So, uh, you know, if, for example, if an organization had a whole string of near misses, like with peanut allergy um, contamination, like Joel mentioned earlier, or perhaps... Uh, you know, near misses with rockfall at a climbing area. Uh, it's not enough just to report those, but they have to do something with that. And if if you if all you do is collect the near miss reports, then you're basically creating a paper trail of your um, of your close calls and something that could actually be potentially used against you, showing that you didn't meaningfully take action to address those near misses. So. I, uh, that is not a reason not to do this. <laughs> I'm not trying to 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 throw any cold water on everything we've been talking about in this podcast, but I would say that it is very important to do that last step because that's really where the learning and the prevention um, occurs is when we act, meaningfully act. And then 
you know, as we mentioned earlier, show the staff how you are acting on those near misses and positively reinforce the culture that you've been trying to create by showing them, hey, as a result of all of you reporting issues with van number eight, guess what? We sold van number eight. We don't mm-hmm. have it anymore. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's not about going away from liability. It's going, it's about going towards quality and improvement. And, uh, you know, I guess the last metaphor I would leave you with in this show is thinking about near miss reporting, um, not just as an operational step, but as really getting it so uh, uh, integrated into your organizational culture that I, I like to say you're getting it into the drinking water of the organization, where it's really just so normal. Um, it's, it's a, it's a routine, it's a value, it's a belief. It's just a normal part of how we do it here at this program or at this school. So that if you didn't do it, people would, would notice that and they would feel like it's missing and they would, they would take note of that because it's, you've gotten it into the drinking water of how the organization works. So hopefully that's some useful, um, maybe nuanced, maybe some new ways of thinking about the, the, um, the uh, the the lottery tickets that near misses provide us. Yes. Well, so when I started this podcast five years ago, it was like pulling teeth to get anybody to be on the show. Honestly, I had to ask five. So out of five people that I would ask that were involved in an accident, uh, one of the five would say, yeah, I'll be on your show. Now I have more submissions than I can produce episodes. So I really do think that the way that we're looking at accidents is shifting that, you know, we are creating a culture where people feel potentially more safe to, to share their, their learnings and their accident and their incidents uh, with, with their outdoor community because they, they want other people to learn from their mistakes and to be safe out there. And, it, and it's pretty cool to say that, you know, I mean, in five years, a lot has changed. Uh, you know, in the beginning, you talked about how this uh, episode's focusing on organizational learning, not just individual and team or team learning. And uh, it's very true. And you know, I would hope that, you know, while we're talking about all different ways to share and report and learn from organizational near misses. I hope that people can also take that into their, uh, those personal adventures they have as well, because, uh, there's, there's really no difference there. We just don't necessarily have the same organizational structure for our personal trips. I think that's a really outstanding observation by Joel. And, uh, I guess the last thing I would come back to is a point you made earlier, Ashley, about, you know, not just talking about things after they've gone terribly wrong. <laughs> but can we also enlarge the scope of what we're looking at and, you know, not just debrief the the tragedies, but uh, continue to get better and better at uh, not even just reporting and debriefing the near misses, but even bigger is looking at the successes and figuring out what what made this trip successful? What did we do well? How can we do more of that? And, you know, if, um, if, if we want to shift from just talking about the catastrophes and get all the way over to this place where we're really focusing on, on the positive stuff too, near misses might be sort of the gateway to get there because they're right in the middle, right? They're something that almost went wrong, but, uh, in fact worked out. So 
you know, I think near miss reporting is a, is a step towards a larger opportunity we have to um, learn from every trip, every time we go out, not just the ones that went wrong. Even if everything went right, it's still important to come home and debrief. Why were things successful? If you learned something from this episode, tell a friend, open up a dialogue with your climbing partners, your coworkers, or your adventure partners. Debrief what went right so you don't have to debrief what went wrong. Thanks to Joel and Steve for being on the show with me. And thanks to Rocky Talkie, Desert Mountain Medicine, and the American Alpine Club. Introducing membership 2.0 from the American Alpine Club. Climbing is inherently risky, but with the enhanced rescue benefits of membership 2.0, you can tie in a little easier knowing the American Alpine Club is on belay. Say you're climbing and the situation goes south. The newly enhanced rescue medical expanse coverage of membership 2.0 will get you back to the trailhead, to the nearest hospital, and then pay your insurance deductible or direct medical expenses once you're there. But what if you are unable to phone in the accident yourself and it's not the AAC who organizes the rescue? They've also created a reimbursement request process to ensure you're not left holding the bill. Learn more at AmericanAlpineClub.org. Desert Mountain Medicine, innovative wilderness medicine training since 1998. DMM offers wilderness first aid, wilderness first responder, and wilderness first responder recertification courses. The Sharp Bend is excited to announce that each of these courses will be offered in my home state of Alaska in April. Use code SHARPENDALASKA to receive 10% off one of these courses. To learn more and sign up, visit DesertMountainMedicine.com. Are you ready? Thanks to the 509 people that took the time to fill out my February survey so I can get to know you better. And congratulations to Paul, Brian, and Dan for winning the great giveaway items we had from our sponsors. Stay tuned for more giveaways to come and stay tuned for information about my first virtual event that will be happening sometime in April. Follow the Sharp End Podcast on Instagram for updates, or you could even sign up for updates at thesharpendpodcast.com. Remember, play hard and be smart. <laughs>